Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to River Park Church this morning. Welcome to our guests and visitors who are with us as well. We, uh, I'm, I'm Adrian DeLang. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, this morning we get to continue our sermon series, uh, Let's Climb. It's an invitation to an active life of faith. A couple announcements as we begin. The first uh, is just thank you to all who participated in and gave to the chili cook-off and the accessory sale in support of the Alack Family Fund. Uh, we raised almost $2,000 last week, uh, and our designated offering this week is also for the Refugee Fund. So we continue to pray that uh, the processing of sponsorship applications for refugees will be accelerated, uh, and that uh, God will continue to use our gifts to be a blessing to those around the world uh, looking for freedom and for a new life in Canada. Later in our service, you'll have a chance to come forward and give your tithes and offerings both to the Ministry of River Park Church and also to the Refugee Fund. Uh, just a word about our service, you can follow along with our order of service by scanning the QR code that's on the screen behind me uh, and pops up from time to time during the service. Later in our service, you'll also have, we'll also read through the New City Catechism, question and answer 18, or 19, excuse me, and at that point, the kids in kindergarten through grade six are going to be invited to Sunday school and Jacob's Ladder for age-appropriate lessons and activities. Uh, if you're, uh, one other note for members and regular attenders here. Our annual general meeting, our AGM, is coming up. Uh, that is Sunday, February 26, from 4 to 6 p.m. So all members and regular attenders are welcome to attend. Uh, and at the meeting, the membership will be asked to endorse a proposed budget for 2023. Uh, the agenda, budget documents, and the annual ministry report will be distributed uh, prior to the meeting this coming week. And it will be available as a hybrid meeting. So both here in the sanctuary, you can attend, and also uh, on Zoom. And if you'd like to attend on Zoom, you can use the same link that we use uh, for the Sunday morning service. So if you're here on Zoom now, you already know how to get here for the AGM. Uh, a reminder that youth are meeting downstairs after the service for an hour. Uh, grades 7 through 12, please join us downstairs after the service. And finally, uh, the most important announcement of the day today, uh, we want to say congratulations to Luke Young Ho Jung and Sophia G.A. Park on the birth of their son, Samuel Sungyul Jung. So congratulations to them. <laughs> Luke is here. Uh, we're celebrating that mother and baby are healthy, uh, and we have a flower up here as well to celebrate uh, the new life, and we'll get that to you after the service. So... Congratulations again. Yeah.
we're going to continue uh, with some question and answer and then a song, especially for our kids, before we uh, invite them to Sunday School and to Jacob's Ladder. Uh, we're going to continue with the New City Catechism this week. We're on question number 19. Uh, last week, we talked about God's punishment, uh, and this week, we talk about the Redeemer that God has sent. So I'll read the question and invite you as a congregation to read the words on the screen that are the answer. Is there any way to escape punishment and be brought back into God's favor? Let's answer together. Yes, to satisfy his justice, God himself, out of mere mercy, reconciles us to himself and delivers us from sin and from the punishment for sin by a redeemer. Hopefully these songs help you stick the wonderful truths of God's Word in your minds. That's the purpose for you guys as kids, uh, and at this time you're invited to go to Sunday school and to Jacob's Ladder. So if you're uh, in kindergarten through grade five, you're invited to head downstairs, and then teachers and helpers as well, and parents, you're always welcome to go with your kid as well. We're going to continue worship uh, by coming to God in prayer. Uh, and this, this morning, in our morning prayer, we just want to remember especially those who are suffering. Um, far away, uh, there's many people suffering in Turkey and Syria. Uh, there was over 20,000 dead in response or after that earthquake. And also many in our congregation facing illness, long-term disease, um, and maybe even death. So let's come to God in prayer this morning. God, we just uh, said and sang these beautiful words of truth from your word. That death is not the end, judgment is not the end, shame is not the end. You have brought us a redeemer. You have, through Jesus Christ, invited your people and all people to a new way to live, to be known, to be loved, a way that extends into eternity but begins now. God, we are thankful and uh, 
we are filled with hope and life because of the truth and the promises of your word. And yet we look around your world and we experience even in our own lives and in our own bodies the still there remains sin, brokenness, the, the sinfulness of creation. God, we mourn and are shocked with those who have lost loved ones. Over 20,000 people uh, died in the earthquake in Syria and Turkey. It seems so far away. Uh, it seems like such a big number that we can't really even begin to come to terms with it ourselves. God, we pray for, uh, for healing, for hope, for restoration. As we look forward to the, the sermon today as well, we, Lord, we, we think of and pray for justice. If there was building codes that were cut or people who took advantage, God, we pray that you would bring justice, that you bring restoration and new life to all those who are affected. God, closer to home, we know that so many people whom we know and love continue to face uh, illness, disease, uh, cancer. We know, Lord, there are those in our congregation, in our families, people we know and love who are walking through a very difficult and painful diagnosis. And Lord, those of us gathered here are also among those who are facing illness, facing cancer, facing almost certain or more imminent death than we expected. God, in the midst of the brokenness of our world, that might seem far away, but also the sinfulness, the brokenness of our own lives and the way in which our sinful world affects us in unjust and unequal ways. God, be with us. Teach us to be agents of your peace. Help us to look to, to look for healing that you provide through your Holy Spirit, through medicine, through faithful professionals who do the best of their abilities to care for those who are hurting and to, pros- to prescribe treatment and care options. God, <clears throat> God, make us agents not only of peace but also of justice, that we would work for and care for the good of those who are hurting, those who are ill, those who are cut off in any number of ways from justice in our society and also from your grace and your love. Teach us, Lord, to be people who, as we said uh, in our song earlier, who give each day of our lives to follow you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. During this next song, you'll have an opportunity to come forward and to give your tithes and offerings uh, to the work of River Park and also to the Refugee Fund.
As you are seated, I just want to remind you that we're continuing our sermon series this morning. Let's climb. It's an invitation to an active life of faith. If you were here last week or you remember the topic for last week, uh, we talked about judgment. And this week we're talking about oppression. This is often how it goes in relationships, doesn't it? Uh, James has a relationship with the church that he is writing to. And he writes and begins with kind and encouraging words. And then somewhere along in the middle comes to some hard and difficult and challenging topics. And then as we'll see next week when Pastor Harrison preaches, he concludes again with words of encouragement and hope and exhortation. This morning, uh, we are going to find another hard word for the hard words or the hard reality of our world. And so I want to invite you to follow along as I read for us James chapter 5. We're going to read the first 12 verses in the NIV. Now listen, James says, listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth has rotted. Moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth. In the last days, look, the wages that you failed to pay the workers who moved your fields or who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Almighty God. You have lived on earth in luxury and self indulgence. You have fattened yourselves on the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the, the innocent one who was not opposing you. Be patient. Then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming, see how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too, be patient and stand firm, because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against each other, one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers and sisters, as an example of the patience in the face of suffering, Take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance, and you have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Above above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or anything else. All you need to say is a simple yes or no. Otherwise, you will be condemned. So far, the reading of God's Word. Right at the end of James, uh, that section in James that we read, James references, uh, among many places in the Old Testament that he references in that chunk, he references Numbers chapter 14. The Lord is slow to anger, abounding in love and forgiving sin and rebellion, yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. If this is how God is, then why do people oppress one another. Why does God have such hard, harsh words for his people? I hope, I intend that what we'll see today is that God has such harsh words for his people because people oppress one another. So why is that? Well, first of all, let's remember that James is not writing uh, an, a letter just out of thin air. James is writing to real people 
with real situations and real problems. He's admonishing people who do own indentured or economic slaves. He's writing to people who are indentured slaves, slaves because of their economic situation and who have suffered oppression, who are ongoing in suffering oppression. James here talks about oppression in almost 2,000 years ago, specifically in terms of power and of money, and specifically in the terms that his audience, his readers, were experiencing. We might like to think that a few thousand years later, we have figured it out and we do better. But it seems to me, at least, that we have found even more ways to oppress other people, sometimes even in ways that we hide. So why do we oppress others? Well, I've got four big boxes up there on the screen. Sometimes it's just thoughtlessness or selfishness. We hate or or we abhor. We want to separate ourselves from people who are different from us. Maybe because of their skin color, their ethnic background, their political views, or their religion. There's not always a thoughtful reason for why we oppress other people. We simply want to enforce a strong distinction between me and you or them and us. This is a kind of carelessness or indifference where we think that other person isn't helpful to me. And so as a result, I can be careless in using them or forcing them to be helpful to me. Second, we might feel superior. And as we work for our own superiority or sense our own superiority, we feel the need to prove it by making other people feel worse or less than by bullying them. Or maybe we're convinced that I am right and you are wrong, which is fine as far as it goes. But then we take the next step, which is to say that because I'm right, I can do whatever I want to you. Or maybe we feel threatened. Sometimes in the present we feel threatened, but most often we're worried about the future. We're afraid that our competitor or this other person will grow bigger or stronger. There'll be more of them than us. So we push them down. We think they're not aligned with me or supportive to me, so I have to limit or oppress them. There may be more reasons, but the last one that I have this morning is envy. Others have something that I value or that I want. And oppression is the way that I can take it and have it for myself or serve myself. I grew, as I write this sermon, I grieve because there were so many examples of oppression in our world to choose from. I wanted to use the example of uh, Russia, specifically Putin, both invading Ukraine, but also oppressing his own people through propaganda. I wanted to use examples of racial injustice in the United States. I wanted to talk about the history of government and church partnership in Canada to fund residential schools which oppressed more than a generation of indigenous people and robbed them of their identity and their heritage. These are all worthwhile uh, studies or, or situations that are worth study and attention. Solid and historic examples of oppression around our world. But oppression also happens much closer to home In fact, I didn't include this in the first draft of my sermon because it didn't come out until just this week. 
There's a story on the Christianity Today magazine uh, website right now of, about a man named Han Cho. He's a lawyer and a former member at a famous church in Southern California that has over 10,000 members. I'll just read a few sentences from this Christianity Today story. The elders at this church had publicly disciplined a woman for refusing to take back her husband. As it turned out, the woman's fears proved true, and her husband, after she took him back, went to prison for child abuse. The church never retracted its discipline and never apologized in 20 years since. As a lawyer and one of the four officers of the elder board at this big church, Han Cho was asked to study the case. He tried to convince the church's leaders to reconsider and at least privately to make it right. He said to the head pastor, or he, he said that the head pastor told him, forget about it. When, when Cho continued to call the elders to do justice on this woman's behalf, he said he was asked to either walk back his conclusions or resign. For this story, Christianity Today spoke with eight women who recounted how they and others at this church had been counseled to avoid reporting their husbands and fathers to the authorities, instead to accept their apologies and continue to submit to them. The victims were regularly quoted scriptures on forgiveness, trust, love, and submission, and they were told to reconcile and return home, even in cases where they feared for their safety and their children's safety. Brothers and sisters, there is no worse case of oppression than when it happens by the people of God, especially the men of God, in the name of God. This is why James is so harsh in his words to the leaders of the church in, uh, that he's writing to in this letter. James reminds the people who are listening to his letter that oppression happens everywhere and can happen everywhere. We shouldn't be surprised when we see it in our world, but we should fight against it when we see it in our families. We should fight against it, especially when we see it in the church. And though we shouldn't be surprised when we see it in the world, we should fight against it when we see it in the world as well. See, James paints this conflict between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world. He rebukes those who are rich because they are pursuing the kingdom of this world. The kingdom of this world does include gold and silver and wealth and fine clothes, it includes people who are working for you, who you're exercising power or, or oppression over. But more than any of that, the kingdom of this world is anyone or anything that is oriented away from God. The kingdom of this world is anyone or anything that is oriented away from God. See, the danger of the kingdom of this world and serving the kingdoms of this world is that we can actually serve idols. We can serve ourselves. Or we can serve some false god of our age, money or power or something else. And we can do all those things even while we say that we're doing good. Or even while we say we're doing it in God's name. Of all of those situations that I mentioned above, those heart situations, right? The reasons why we oppress others. All of those happen all those reasons exist in the church. All of those reasons exist even in our own church. 
I'm thankful, I believe we're all thankful, that those are not all fully expressed. And yet, sin remains in each of our hearts. Thoughtless selfishness, feeling superior to others, being convinced that I'm right and you're wrong, and because of that, I can do whatever I want. These temptations exist in each of our own hearts. We don't always have the opportunity to act on them the way that a large church and powerful leaders might. But these temptations happen, or these temptations exist everywhere in our world, and they tempt even our hearts, those of us in the church, because sin has pervaded every part of our world, every part of our lives. So what do we do? How do we respond as people who love Jesus, who don't want to be part of a church or any community that is characterized by oppression? I think James has, well, James has two commands in the middle of this text, and I think that they are unexpected. He says two things. First, he says, be patient. And second, he says, don't grumble against one another. Being patient... James makes clear when he uses the example of a farmer sowing his seed, being patient is not about sitting still and doing nothing when you see oppression. God's coming kingdom is not an excuse for us to sit on our hands and say, well, I'm being patient, I can't do anything. It's not an excuse for us to wait for God to solve all of our problems for us. James uses that example of a farmer focused on a goal on a harvest. A farmer knows that it's going to take time for seeds to germinate and to grow, and it's going to take even more time for his crops to bear fruit. It takes time for a farmer's purposes and goals to be accomplished. A farmer who is impatient, who is not patient, will try and plant one thing, and then he'll become impatient. He'll give up. He'll plow all of his seeds under and he'll plant something else. He'll plant it at the wrong time. And he'll never have a crop because he didn't stick with his main purpose or goal. James is not saying, when he says be patient, he's not saying do nothing. He's saying be focused on the center of the task that God has for you. Do not turn to the right or to the left. Likewise, James says, don't grumble against one another. Grumbling against one another is different from oppression, certainly. But it shows that we don't see others as equal to ourselves, which is the same root problem of oppression. We oppress people because we don't think they're as good as we are. But also we grumble against people when we see that they're treated well. That they experience some success and we say to ourselves, oh, they, they don't deserve it. We grumble against others when we are envious of their success. We make enemies of them in our own hearts. God has been leading me on this topic of oppression for a number of years. And he will continue to lead us all. As I was preparing for this sermon this week, I was reminded of the story of how I came to River Park. Of course, there's many threads in that story, but I want to share just one of them with you. At one point, when I was considering leaving my previous congregation and, and doing something else, wondering what God might have for me, 
I was thinking about leaving ministry and instead pursuing a PhD, a doctorate degree. When I took the call to come here and decide to join Pastor Harrison and our other leaders here at River Park, an elder in my previous congregation asked me, why didn't you go and do a PhD? And at that time, I responded with words that as I think back on them, I think were words from the Lord. I said, I don't think that God needs me to be smarter. I think God wants me to be holier. I don't think God needs me to be smarter. I think God wants me to be holier. Now, I'm never going to criticize the value of an education. A PhD and all kinds of education are wonderful things. I'm simply saying that I am here that we are here as a church because God wants to take us on a journey toward holiness. The journey that God wants to lead us on is not a journey that has as its goal that all of us become smarter. The journey that God has for us has as its goal that all of us become more like God. The purpose of the church is to partner together on a journey where we become more holy, more like God. That's a journey that includes learning and becoming smarter. It's a journey that includes experimenting and trying new things and learning through our successes and our failures, our ups and our downs. Always we are seeking to become more like God, more holy, more like the people that God requires or requires and desires for us to be. Now here's where it all comes together. We said, I said, that we oppress others when we have the opportunity because, in a word, we're selfish. When you look back on those four boxes, all of those things are self-focused things. The kingdom of this world is a self-focused kingdom, a kingdom that's directed away from God and to some other person or to ourselves. But here's the thing. If we are on a journey, and if we are desiring to become holy, become more like God, then when we look at the story of God, the Bible, when we look at our experience with God personally, we see that Christ, that God, does the opposite of oppressing. That Christ's heart is against oppression. For these for, is, or is against all of those above reasons, all those things that lead to oppression, God is against them. That God works actually in a very different way. You see, once we were different from God, different in every way, but God came to us in Jesus Christ and made no difference and no distance between us and him, between us and one another. God was and is superior to us in every way, But he emptied himself and became fully human, just like us, except for sin. God is the source of all right and all truth. But God did not force us to be like him. He gave us free will to choose to do what we wanted. He chose in love to love us, to care for us, to restore us. God created humanity, and in love for his creation, he even allowed sin and Satan and demons, the greatest threat, 
He allowed them to continue growing until the time was right so that in his love he might save the whole world. God is perfect and complete in and of himself. God doesn't need anything from anyone, not least from me or from you. But God still chooses to be in relationship with you and with me. He chooses to know us personally and to delight in us. Despite our rebellion and our work against God, God still chooses to work for our good. God doesn't take our good from us or depend on us to somehow manufacture good things for himself. Instead, God takes from us our shame, our sin with Jesus on the cross. And he gives us even more of himself, more of his goodness than we can accept and more of his goodness than we can even comprehend or understand. The Apostle Paul in Philippians, in his, another letter, reminds us that Jesus did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own personal advantage, but instead that he became a servant to all people. Then Paul, like James does, calls Christians to follow Jesus' example. What does it mean to follow Jesus' example when it comes to oppression, when it comes to God's judgment? It's very simple. I'll encourage you to write this down, or if you don't have a pen, I can write it down for you some other time. Oppression happens when people in our world are in a position to give something to someone else, and instead, we take it from them. Oppression happens when people in our world are in a position to give something to someone else and instead we take something from them. God, on the other hand, God has the only right to take everything from us and yet he gives everything to us. Those are our options. The kingdom of this world or the kingdom of God. And James exhorts us, calls us, demands, falls short of demanding. But he says, follow the example of Christ. There's no reason why someone who's not a Christian would follow Jesus' example consistently. Until God moves in your heart or my heart, it only makes sense to follow the way of the kingdom of this world at least some of the time to provide for ourselves or take what we want for ourselves at least some of the time. But what a number of people have recognized, both Christians and people who aren't Christians or who belong to another religion, thoughtful people have realized that everybody worships something. Everybody worships something. Because even Christians can follow the kingdom of this world In other words, we can say that we're following Jesus, but also actually follow some other way. We must always pray and work to keep our eyes on Jesus more and more. Everybody worships something. And sometimes we're tempted to worship something other than God. Often we are. But to worship God and to worship only God not ourselves, not power, not reputation or money or anything else. This is what the way of following Jesus is about. 
That's why the American novelist David Foster Wallace said in a pretty famous speech, which is entitled, This is Water. This is what he said. I'm going to read a little paragraph from him here. He said, here's something else that's weird but true. In the day-to-day trenches of adult life, there's actually no such thing as atheism. There's no such thing as worshiping or as not worshiping. There's no such thing as not worshiping. Everyone worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And the compelling reason for choosing some sort of God or spiritual type thing to worship, these are his, his, his words, be it Jesus Christ or Allah, be it Yahweh or the Wiccan mother goddess or the four noble truths or some inviolable set of ethical principles, the reason, he says, is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money or things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough. You will never feel you have enough. That's the truth. Worship your body and beauty and sexual allure and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally grieve you. On one level, we know this stuff already. It's been codified as myths, proverbs, cliches, epigrams, parables, the skeleton of every great story. The whole trick is to keep the truth up front in daily consciousness. It's the end of that quote. I read all that for you because I want to remind you that even people who are not Christians recognize that in the kingdom of this world, what James says is true. Wealth rots. Clothes are ruined. Our most prized possessions tarnish. To use David Foster Wallace's words, pretty much everything you worship, anything else that you worship, will eat you alive. You will never have enough. The problem of oppression is not only that you hurt others, but also that you will never be able to get enough of what you want in order to satisfy yourself. If you want money, if you want power, if you want calm, if you want affirmation or good order or praise of others, even if you want to help other people in order to feel good about yourself, you'll never have enough. James's conclusion is a conclusion that only makes sense to Christians and will only be persuasive to Christians. James says that we, well, he says that we have oppressed the Son of God. He's writing to Christians who have oppressed many people's sons and daughters. But he says, you have even oppressed the Son of God. If this is true as Christians, or because this is true, because it is our sin that nailed Jesus to the cross. It is our shame that separates us from God. We could do a lifetime of good and still not do enough to make up for that. We have only to fall on the grace and mercy of God's love. We're no better than anyone else. The power or position that we gain in this world, the wealth that we have, it does not last. What's more, when we see that we too 
have oppressed God's Son. Then we see that we too are sinners, just like anyone else. That we have no right to judge or stand over anyone else. Christians are not guided by the words of David Foster Wallace or the words of any other person. We're guided first by the example of God and the words of God. So as we close, I want to hold up for you again what I said and ask, will you do more than just avoid oppression? It's a good thing to say, well, I don't want to be responsible to oppress others. It's also a good thing to point out when other people are oppressing someone else. But will you do more than just sit idly with your hands below your butt and wait for God or someone else to intervene in oppression? That's not the patience that James has for us. Again, oppression happens when people in our world are in a position to give something to someone else and instead we take it. God has the only right to take everything from us, yet he gives everything to us. Will you follow the example of Christ? Will you follow the example of his love? Jesus says this about love. This is my command, he says in James, or excuse me, in John chapter 15. This is my command. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this. No one has greater love than this, than that he laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I call you friends. For everything that I learned from my Father, I made known to you, Jesus says. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then my Father will give you anything you ask for in my name. But this is my command. Love each other. Because of Jesus, we do not need to wait for God's final judgment to begin to overcome oppression. Jesus has given us the greatest tool to do it, self-denying love. This is why we must always look back again and again at the perfect example of Jesus. We must always look also to living examples of others who faithfully follow Jesus. Even as we focus our energy on our own hearts to check and see whether we are truly following God in the way that He has for us. We're just doing what is easiest or best for ourselves. As February's Black History Month in Canada, I want to end with a quote from Polly Murray. You can see it on the screen behind me. Polly Murray was one of the leaders uh, who worked to end racial oppression, racial segregation in the United States in the 1960s. And this is what she said. I intend to destroy segregation by positive and embracing methods. When my brothers try to draw a circle to exclude me, I will draw a larger circle to include them. Where they speak out for the privileges of a puny group, I shall shout out for the rights of all mankind. This is how we follow Jesus. 
to shout for the rights of all humanity, and to show all how to find the life and the love of Jesus, who has come to us and who is coming to all. So let's come to him in prayer as we close this sermon time together. God, we are in a moment going to stand and sing that you are enough for us, that you are more than enough for us. We thank you for that song, for the beauty and the truth of that song. And Holy Spirit, we ask that you would make those words true in our hearts. Help us to see all the ways in which we have set up our lives so that you are not enough for us that we seek fulfillment or satisfaction or power or meaning in all kinds of other places, running from you, when in fact you are enough for us. Holy Spirit, speak to us through your word, through your holy word, the Bible, and speak to our hearts personally, individually, even while we sing this next song and meditate on the truth of your words, and how we can apply them to our own lives. Lead us on, God. Be with us, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Just a reminder, youth, that we're going to meet after the service uh, at about 11.20 or so uh, for an hour. But as we go, go with God's blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine upon you, be gracious to you. Turn his face toward you and give you his peace. And all God's people say, amen. As we go, we'll sing about our beautiful Savior.